You are listening to The Fold Uncut, an Access All Areas podcast from behind the chair here in Dubai, where we share the stories of the women in our community that I'm sure you will find relatable. We have an open door policy and our main objective is to connect women from around the world. We provide a space where women feel safe and supported and we want the same for our podcast. Disclaimer, nothing is too liberal for us. Have you ever wondered the importance of trusting your gut instinct? Well, today we sit down with one of our very own Foldy clients who did just that and defied medical science by solely trusting her gut. Here's the tale. So, the other M. Wow. So, Emily has seen my client probably now for three years. Yes. And I would say during that time, she has taught me a lot about and this sounds really geeky and really cliche, but she's told me what it is to be a woman and almost like take charge of like, or I don't know how to explain it, but like, you know, when you're always like second guessing yourself, and they just told me that like confidence into like just whatever that gut feeling is probably isn't wrong. Like, there's a reason why you have a gut feeling. One, I work with a business mentor and she always says to me, What does your gut say? And I'm like, well, it says this, and she's like, go with your gut. Don't tell me anything else, go with your gut. Nine times out of ten, she's right. I've gone with my gut before, and it hasn't worked done on. But also, there was a lesson in that. Yes. Which you always need to lead again. Like, there's always a lesson. Yeah, to learn something. Yes. And so, I haven't really told Emily anything. I just thought, like, you can just tell the story with what you're comfortable with. So, obviously, you have been, these are the last three years I've known you. You've been on this journey of like self-discovery and it's truly been through more of like the spiritual approach to it. Yes. Then obviously when maybe we know each other for about a day, they looked up to me about how this goes ever, like even before, and there's not two kids, but even before they were a twinkle in their daddy's eye, like the third trigger when you were much, much younger, as to how this started, I kind of right. like, I need to take hold of my work and what it is done. Well-being. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, to unspot story. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I think I'm more nervous than childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> I think that comes with being seen. And how are you? I said, oh, I don't know how to be in the fall. You're welcome. It was the best day ever. There was a Christmas tree. Yep. There was a Christmas tree and Christmas music and a lot of contractions. Um, okay, so I, when I think back about my story and what got me where I am, it's so holistic and that sounds cheesy, but it started with when I was younger, I watched two of the most prominent women in my life, my mother and my grandmother, succumb to the Western medical system. And there is a time and a place for a doctor in a hospital. And I appreciate everything. My sister's a doctor. I love people in the medical profession. But there's also an aspect of it that's so overlooked or just not even looked at that has a profound effect on you as a person and your entire well-being. And so when I had, I watched as I said, my mom goes through this circus of pharmaceutical industry, medical industry, and I can look back now and realize it never addressed the root cause of what was going on with her. And fast forward when I was in my 20s and I got off of birth control and I didn't have it's funny, I got off of birth control because there was one doctor in New York that was actually from New Orleans as well. So we connected on that. She said, given the family history you just told me, I'm never putting you on birth control again. And I was, I was livid. I remember being upset with her and so frustrated. She said, you need to go to a hematologist and have your blood looked at because I have a blood clotting factor from my mother. And if you've ever seen a birth control advertisement, it says not for those with high risk of blood clots, stroke, heart attack. So I'm one of those higher risks. So she told me this and I remember being so frustrated because I just wanted the birth control because I needed a regular cycle because my cycles were never regular. They were always very painful. 
So I was looking outside of myself because that's what I had been taught. So she sends me to a hematologist. They do all this blood work. Fast forward, I moved from New York to Boston. Since I had come off of the birth control, I never had a cycle. So many things started to shift within me that I didn't take note of because I was stressed moving, finding a new job, leaving New York, moving to Boston. Um, Julius and I were just boyfriend and girlfriend at that time. So that put me in a place of, it was a year and a half and I hadn't had a cycle. Like in a year and a half? In a year. So I started going to endocrinologists, reproductive endocrinologists, gynecologists. They told me I was pre-diabetic. They told me I was overweight. Yes. I think I weighed 93 pounds. I don't know what that is in kilos. Probably like 43. Oh my God. So I was very skinny. They told me I needed to lose weight. And then they put me on metformin. They told me I needed to gain weight. They just couldn't make up their mind. And I continued to trust the system. So I was taking these hardcore drugs at 24 for someone who has diabetes. And one of the side effects of metformin is when you take it, you have severe cramping in your pancreas. And you can only detect it if you take your blood in that instant, like it's an instantaneous picture. And I knew in my gut that's what was happening. My body was rejecting this medicine. And I was... That's why I took Nostal. Why? Exactly that. Why did the doctor not just say that? All because you were having the... It was your pancreas. Yeah, I didn't know this at the time and no one told me. Did you get a second opinion? No. No, I didn't because I didn't realize a second opinion was a thing. And also, when you're working as a professional, you can only take so much time off of work. I had just started with this job. You're on their health insurance. They're asking, why are you going to the doctor so often? What's going on with you? You have to be so vulnerable with your new boss. So it puts you in a very awkward situation. So I remember I was getting my blood taken so many different times. I had been put on medicine to induce a cycle three times. It never worked. So fast forward, I wiped my hands of everything. I said, I'm not going to another doctor. I'm going to change my food. And this may not be for everyone, but I did two one-day juice cleanses. So for one day, twice, I drank juices and I cleaned up what I was eating and I had a cycle. And from that moment on, it was just this light bulb of how did no one talk to me about what I was eating? How did no one talk to me about what my body needed? How was that completely overlooked? Meanwhile, I was in the depths of despair and so much pain relying on them to find a cure, help me, help me, help me. When unfortunately the system is, especially in America, you are one of so many every day. So they're not going to holistically look at you. They will symptomatically look at you. And it's very pathol, like it's a pathology business, pathological. So that changed food for me. Then I would say the next piece was I started to look at, okay, if food is having such an effect on me, what else is affecting me, my skincare, the products in my house. What am I using on my body? What am I, the kind of, so I went from taking probably paracetamol for every headache to putting peppermint oil on my temples. And changing, this was what, 2012, when my husband and I went to this natural living expo in, Massachusetts, where all these crunchy people went. We heard Gabby Bernstein talk. This was like... Yeah, people, can you explain what crunchy people are? I just couldn't go for a cost of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Crunchy people, let's think. I don't want to be offensive. So it's, it's honestly just an alternative way of thinking. It's an alternative way of being and looking and questioning. So you say this, okay, I'm going to do my own research and find out what that means for me because we are all so different and there is no one size fits all in terms of healthcare, well-being, any of it. So I would say crunchy people are just out-of-the-box thinkers. 
Yeah. And he has liked this too. Like, he was the... He was, a, he was totally along for the ride. So I remember we watched Forks Over Knives when we lived in New York. I told you about that. And we both changed our diet. And it changed so much for him too. And then also tagging along with me, seeing me change all of these other things in my life. We did meditation and then fast forward, he did a silent meditation camp in Thailand where he didn't speak for 10 days. And he's just, he loves it. It's changed the way that we think. He's such a logical person. So it took him quite some time to adapt to the spiritual gut-based feeling approach rather than thinking through everything and making it make sense in your head. You can't always make it make sense in your head. It has, you have to feel it from your gut. So kind of say, well, again, this thing that happened with, in terms of your diet, you just told us about the fuse cleanse, but what else have you like, like meat out or? At that point I did. So when I was in New York, I did this diet based on the recommendation of my then personal trainer. And he suggested no carbs whatsoever. So I was eating cheese sticks and steak and pepperonis and drinking Diet Dr. Pepper and losing so much weight. But I was also slowly just like, you are so clogged up, to say it quite frankly. And no fiber, no fruit, no nothing, no zero carbs, zero carbs. I imagine that be like that long. Right? Yeah. I know. I know it's changed so much. And the diet thing, I think everyone is so different. I think everyone works with, we, our bodies respond to different foods differently. So I think the exploration is a huge aspect and learning what works for you. For me, for my cycle, I remember I had, I worked at a startup in Cambridge and I had like a mini massage and the masseuse was on my sacral chakra my lower back area and she said you really need to integrate more beets and carrots into your diet and I noticed then when I started to for me the easiest way to get a high density beet or carrot is to drink a juice like a high quality organic cold pressed juice full of beets and carrots and I would do that and then my cycle would come so it became a little bit more not manipulative but I could feed my body what it needed when it needed it to regulate myself. So I think you could also get it from red meat. You could get it from, I mean, your iron comes from so many different places, but for me personally, I didn't respond well with a lot of meat. And then like, what, because honestly, like with your family all being in the medical realm, what do they think to this amount? That's going to be a great, great question to ask. I think they think Emily moved to, so I'm from New Orleans and in New England, it's like a different part of the country. So you see them as northerners, but they have an alternate way of thinking and being. So they probably categorize it as Emily is just adapting to where she's living right now. But, and I've sat down and I've tried to have a conversation with my dad and my sister about their food. It's kind of funny. Because you have to, I don't know, some of us have to hit rock bottom or have our own health situation, circumstance to push us into an alternate way of being. It's not, you, it's hard to drive it from your own. Exactly. Fast forward to Lily. So you think, oh, wow, she knows what she's doing. She's tuned into her body. She knows how to feed it properly. Did you ever take? any medication throughout this whole period? Like even like Panadol, would you ever take anything like that and no? Before, yes, I grew up with Panadol and cold medicine and America's very, we like to go to the pharmacy and find the solution rather than the grocery store. So once I changed the food, then I started to open up my mind. So I used to get severe sinus headaches, what I then realized, and I started putting peppermint oil on my sinuses and my temples. And then that drove me to an ENT because I realized I was having such heavy, hard sinus headaches that the peppermint oil would release them, but they were so frequent, it seemed off. So I actually went to an ENT in Boston and they did a scan and I had to have surgery. We're like, you have a deviated septum. 
your sinuses are too small. So I did have surgery for that. And thank God, because it made such a difference. But had I not, had I just continued to take the Panadol, yeah. then it would have perpetuated. I wouldn't have realized, oh, when I put peppermint oil on my sinuses, this horrible, painful headache subsides. Mm-hmm. So there's so many just... I don't know, nuggets, the more you can do your own research, be a part of your body rather than looking outside, you get to know yourself so much better. So when you get to, when I was pregnant with Lily, so exciting, I went to a doctor recommended by a friend. I really liked her. She was super warm here in Dubai. Sorry, I'm in the middle of this. Yes. When you were trying for Lily, yes. it was an old probably cycle from here, what, like, did it, was that okay? Like, would you, did the gene yes. approach help you? Yes, and I learned a lot in that process. So I still couldn't gauge when my cycle was because they weren't normal. And normal in today's terms, I guess, is women should have a cycle every 28 days. I never had that. Sometimes if I was traveling or I was stressed, it would be closer to 50 days because maybe I didn't have that mind-body connection and it took a little bit longer. So when we were trying for Lily, I remember I used an app to track my ovulation based on a, an average of how long my cycle was taking. And it, it worked one time, it did work. But I remember thinking this didn't work. Apparently I ovulated three days. Well, it did work. So my ovulation was wrong on the app. We just got lucky. So then conceive Lily and I, they go off of, for your gestational age of your child, they go off of your last cycle. But mine are so irregular, it's not a great parameter, but also they should be measuring the baby. So I don't know if Lily was measuring large, but we were within the window. It was probably just three to five days off. Which, for a first-time mom, that matters, especially in Dubai. So I'm pregnant with Lily. I, of course, not of course, but it's very typical for a first-time mother to go past her due date. And I had had a few instances with my doctor when I didn't listen to my gut. I left the appointment second-guessing myself speaking negatively about my body. I remember I went in probably the 38-week scan or a 38-week appointment. No, earlier, it was 36 weeks. And she said something about, why isn't this baby engaged yet? And I took that as my, my body isn't working. My body is less than. My body, you know, I'm not on the right track to have this baby naturally the way that I want to. And I went into a tailspin and I remember I went to a chiropractor to help open my pelvis, get the baby to engage. And instead of enjoying those last few weeks, I was really anxious. And I don't know how far along we all are, but your body holds these emotions and your body will just close up. If you have too much anxiety within you, if you have too much stress and cortisol pumping through your blood, There is no way to relax and open, which is everything that needs to happen for a child to come into this world naturally. Um, So she had said that, didn't think anything of it. I guess I thought it was normal. Really, it was, I should have maybe changed doctors a month before giving birth. But so my doctor was out of town. She allowed me to go 10 days over and I used those words on purpose, aloud, which is what they do. They will allow you. I will allow you to go 10 days over. So I started to have spontaneous labor with Lily a day before my scheduled induction. And I was so excited. It was August 8th. Numbers mean a lot to me. So I was like 8-8. Every anniversary of mine and Julius's is on the 8th. I was so excited. Julius was so excited and fast forward, we rushed to the hospital probably way too soon and labor stopped because again, the stress hormones. So she told me about that. I'm going to do that because I'm just 
tent up. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that's exactly what happened. So then we go back home, prepare for the midnight induction, show up to the hospital. I really wanted to have a birth without pain medicine. I wanted to have a water birth. And I wasn't aware that when you are induced with Pitocin, you can't get in the water. So I was laboring on Pitocin without any pain medicine in the room with the tub, even though the midwives were telling me, I don't think I want you in there because if you can't get in the tub, and I remember thinking, why can't I get in the tub? Why wouldn't I? So anyway, I'm laboring for probably 13 hours and they checked me. They were like, you're two centimeters. 13 hours with no medicine, just, you know, hoping and praying that all of this pain is for something and then realizing it wasn't. So go for the epidural. I've been awake for two and a half days at this point. Maybe if I relax with some medicine and some help, things will progress much faster. So I go to get the epidural. They still have me hooked up to the Pitocin. So I'm having contractions about every two minutes and an epidural takes 20 to 25 minutes and you're hunched over a pillow. And I was squeezing the life out of my doula's hands because my husband can't see needles. So I'm looking at her like, okay, let's do this. Just ready and waiting for this release of pain and to relax. And once they finished the epidural, I was like, oh, that wasn't that bad. This is great. They tape the epidural wire over your shoulder and the nurse assistant comes over to cut the tape, but she actually cuts the epidural. So she cut the entire epidural. I looked at her. I had gone through 13 hours of intense labor without saying one curse word. This poor woman, I looked into her eyes and made her cry. Oh my God. I feel sorry for the poor woman. Feel that too. Me too. But I feel sorry for me because then because then I had to get a second epidural. So by this point, hates medication. Yes. Yes. Let's go ahead and poke me again. And of course, the second one hurt a lot more because they have to find a completely different pathway to go in. They can't go in the same pathway. So they have to find a new way to go in. The poor anesthesiologist, he was such a, such a gentleman, except to that poor nurse. And he was so kind to me. So 45 minutes later, I'm hunched over a pillow. My doctor had kind of put me on a clock at this point too. She said, listen, your waters broke X amount of hours ago. We need to, I would like to see you have this epidural and progress pretty quickly. Which is so strange. Like this is a big part of the whole story, which has always confused me because you obviously have Isla and you had, your was is broken at the three weeks and they let you go to like, she didn't come for two weeks after. Mm. And so just, interesting. Yeah, but they put me on I was on antibiotics straight away. Mm. It's like, I visited an infection, but I suppose yes. you're in labor already. So. Right, which I did have IV antibiotics as well as the Pitocin because of the water, the yeah. membranes yeah. rupture. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know. And then we'll talk about how you manifest things because leading up to this pregnancy, the whole time I was pregnant with Lily, I was just walking around saying anything but a C-section, anything but a C-section. And... You know the universe, it doesn't listen to negatives. So it, I called it in because what the universe heard was anything C-section. <laughs> so, so that's where we were. So I have my second epidural hunched over a pillow. They get me back in the room to lie down. Lily's heart rate drops, my contractions stop. And Julius starts to cry. The midwives come in. I'm honestly, I'm tuning it out because things have already not gone to what I had wanted and um then all of a sudden my doctor rushes in and she's like baby's heart rate dropped we have to get her out now I think that was at 1 30 Lily was born into the world by 2 12 and it went so fast and so quick and so dirty into from what was a dark room with essential oils to an operating room with bright lights and people moving so fast because they're worried about the baby now. And Julius is crying and he's not with me because he's getting suited up to go into the gallery. And it was, I have 
I cried such an intense cry for so long, and that anesthesiologist was next to me the whole time, number one, trying to up my epidural to make sure I didn't feel anything, because if you plan a C-section, you usually get a spinal tap, and if it's an epidural, they need to make sure that you're really numb. So he is talking, can you feel this, can you feel this, and I'm rushing through the hospital, and it was nothing of what I expected, and... The part of that that crushed me later on in those delicate postpartum weeks, months, was even when I spoke to people close to me about how that felt, the trauma that was within not having my own bodily autonomy in those decisions being made was, but you have a healthy baby, but you're okay, but your your baby is okay. And not a day goes by. Of course, I'm grateful for my child. That does not discount that. But let's also address a woman who had a situation where I truly felt violated. I felt violated. I walked out of that hospital feeling like I had been taken advantage of in such a profound and different way than I could have ever imagined. I first, I literally, just before you got here, we were talking about birth, and I said with Lenny, my second one, the one thing that I took away from Ida's birth and took into Lenny's birth was you're in control. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's doctors and they're medical experts and mm-hmm. the advice and everything, but you're in control. So if you don't feel comfortable, you can say stop. And with Isla, I didn't know that. And mm-hmm. the second one, you get a bit more contents and you know how everything goes. And that's something I just said to you. Yes. Like, yeah. And like, we are in control. So yes. at any point you can say stop. And I think that's also what you have taught me, Anne. Mm-hmm. So, like, not even just about, like, childbirth, but about, like, why. But just to advocate for yourself sometimes. Because I think all three of us sat here are people pleasers. Like, yes. we're naturally like that. So we don't want to upset someone else. So therefore, we don't advocate for ourselves sometimes. And always second guess, like, what if I'm wrong? Because we don't always believe that we could possibly have the right answer because somebody must always say better than that. But that's one thing that you were really kind of like told me is to like, sometimes you have to be like cheerleader because how, how did she deal with that? Because like going through trauma is what I'll call it. Yes. It's like through the birth. Yes. Like, and then you come out of it and everyone's like, you've got a healthy baby and I'm like, but I'm not okay. Right. I did not deal with that well because I don't look to medicine. And maybe something could have helped. So I learned with my second, with Merrick, his postpartum was so different, but I had more tools in my toolbox. And I think that is the most important thing is building your own toolbox. And when I think about mine, the first thing is what am I eating? How, how is this food affecting me? The second thing is where is where are my emotions in my body and how does this make me feel? And that was a part with Lily that I didn't, those synapses for some reason had not connected yet. And in her postpartum, we had so much change and I, I went through those early days. Julius changed every diaper, did everything. For probably 10 days, I wallowed on the sofa and just was, I mean, what you would now say is clear postpartum depression. I couldn't move because every pang in my scar area was a reminder that I had failed. And I had this stigma around birth that if they did not, if I did not birth them through my vagina, they were not birthed. And I had this shame and guilt and just really beat myself up for so long that I wasn't good enough. Like, I look at my friends who had water births and I think, well, I'm not good enough. It's because I didn't have a mom. Or clearly this is resonating. It's all still kept in there. And there's so much trauma around feeling like you're worthy of what you want and addressing that root cause. So... When I wanted to have a second child. So the one thing I knew I did better, not better than anyone, but like a rock star was breastfeed. Like I could breastfeed probably 10 kids. And that was such a blessing. And I breastfed Lily until she was 18 months old. And I remember I really wanted a second baby. Something told me I have to stop breastfeeding her. 
because, you know, to make, to ovulate and go back to normal. Um, and in the process of consciously conceiving Merrick without an app, I was rubbing essential oils on my uterus and really trying to connect with myself and let go of the blame that I put on my body for not having the birth that I wanted. I went through every stage of grief from, this sounds really terrible, but when Lily was born, my doctor, when she handed her to me, she said, some babies just want to come through the sunroof. And that simple statement took my vulnerable mind and placed it on, this is because of Lily. Like, I went through this because of her. And that is, wow, 12 shades of wrong. She, and I knew this, this is going back to your intuition and how strong that is. When I knew I was pregnant with her and I did the math when she was going to be born, I knew she was going to be a Leo. I knew it was a girl as soon as I knew when she was going to be born. And I knew she was going to be my teacher. She was coming to teach me. I knew that in my gut. And wow, she's still teaching me. <laughs> a lot of patience. But when I was consciously conceiving Merrick, I went through so much healing in terms of I went from blaming her to blaming my body. Because when you're grieving, it's so much easier to put the pain and frustration outside of yourself rather than look within. I needed this experience to teach me and propel me on a path that advocates for me and my body and my baby. And it did that so well. And I remember I changed doctors for Merrick and I went and saw her. She did a scan and she said, oh, uh, it looks like or your, the uterine lining is very thin. Let me put you on a medicine to induce your cycle. If you remember, that did not work for me. So she said this and I said, that's a great plan. I'm not going to do that. Give me a month. I'll come back. I'll do my thing. Detox, cleanse, do everything that I feel I need to do for my body. And then we'll go from there. So I went back a month later. She's like, wow, you're about to ovulate. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I told you, so I stuck with her because she let me push my boundaries, but I needed that whole experience to teach me that me knowing my body is more powerful than any medical degree. And there are times and places for hospitals and looking for relief outside of yourself, but it has to come from within. And I'm still learning. I'm still learning so much about how to advocate for myself. So you saying that I taught you all these things, I'm like, I don't know if you're talking to the right about the right person because I'm still learning. You're very like, especially with Myla, like you knew that there was something. Like I just said this time when you just took outside, I said it's so weird that we're doing this today because I knew, like, I just thought surely this, I've known a hundred pregnant people and I'm sorry, but, and I know that you shouldn't say this, but I'm New Yorkshire one I come from the North of England and you just wear a coat, no matter how cold it is, and you just get shit done and you just like, you know, I would go to school some days and I'll be so, so ill, but my mum would be like, if the, if the school nurse can see you sick enough, then you can come home. Like, you need to be tough. And there's so many emotional ways in that I'm not tough, but physically, I do believe I truly am tough. So I kept thinking, I was so mad at myself. I was like, why can my body not just do this? Oh, you know, and obviously with everything that happened, everybody would take in the island just say grateful. And I started to feel like, well, you know, I am grateful. What Adam would be saying to me one night, she's, you're like, I know I should be grateful, but I'm just like, you're struggling. And I'm like, and that's okay, darling. Like, um, I just, I can't tell you. I just knew that something, like, we were speaking, obviously, to your, I won't say a name, but our friend slash client a few weeks ago. And um, she was asking me about the gestational diabetes. And she said, can you tell me on last step, why put these or you're going to have fun? You know, you manifested it. And I was like, do you know what? Sometime, if if I was in my old head when I was at the end of my journey, I would be like, oh, God, Jen, because I manifest everything. And, you know, like, maybe I did put that out to the universe and da 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 
But actually, I truly believe that there's a difference between manifesting something and just knowing in your gut that this mm-hmm. is always going to be mm-hmm. on the cards for you. Like, I, it's not that I manifested it. At that point, I already knew I had it. Mm-hmm. I just hadn't been like, medically diagnosed with it. And then everything that happened after that, where I just, just didn't feel I was getting the treatment. Yes, my lovely, lovely little guardian angel, Lynn, basically confirmed everything to me. And she's a client, not a, not a doctor, but she was like, you're not going crazy. You know this. And so I did exactly, like, I did your hair a few weeks ago, didn't I? And I was like, I'm going to change doctors because this just isn't sitting well with me. Like, I don't believe I'm going crazy. I don't believe that I could be so far off the mark. And look, it turns out, you know, everything I said was right. I wasn't getting treated properly. It's made it worse. And now I'm in the situation that I am now. So I do think there is something inside you as a woman that just is like, you know, it just in pain with it, just knows what you need. And it's just sometimes we choose to ignore that and sometimes we fight for it. And I'm like, I think that's what you did in this. Like, we always say, don't we, like, with Merrick, that was your weak cries. With Merrick's birth, different. Incredible. So I knew, again, your intuition is so strong when you are pregnant. You just have to listen to it. It's like, it might sound like a hormonal crazy person in your brain, but it's just this intuition that we aren't tuned into quite yet. As soon as I got pregnant with Merrick, found out his birthday, knew it was a boy, as much as I was in denial about that, because I wanted Lily to have a sister. I wanted same sex, but I look back and I'm so grateful he is who he is. He's just the love of my life. Delicious, delicious boy. I knew it was a boy and I knew he was my healer. I just knew it. So with my children, I have this, it's almost like they come in with an intention within my life and then they have their own intention. You know, it's so crazy. I looked up, I'm very into astrology and our signs and what it means. I looked up Lily's rising sign So that's how you present yourself to the world, how others perceive you. Within her rising sign, it says teacher. Like within this description, it says teacher. And then within Merrick's rising sign, it's healer. And I had no idea of this, but Merrick's birth and all of it was so different. So I equipped myself with knowledge. And that's another thing within my toolbox that I know if I don't If I can't feel my way through it, I'm going to use my brain and think my way as far as I can. And I learned about physiology of birth. I learned because with Lily, the chiropractor, this is another thing. You should be so gentle with your words to a pregnant woman. The chiropractor looked at me and she said, your body's too small. You're going to have a C-section. You are a chiropractor. You're supposed to manipulate my body so that this baby will drop and come out. So again, right people you need to have the right people on your team. Did not go back to that chiropractor for the second child. <laughs> Definitely not. And so I did so much research and a lot of, it's a course, it's called pain-free birth. And it just taught me the physiology of labor. And there was a point where, so I had traveled back to the U.S. for the summer before Merrick was born. And then I came back to Dubai. I had my appointment, hadn't had a scan like an ultrasound scan in, I guess, eight, seven or eight weeks at this point. So I go in and he's breech. And I'm like, what universe? Why? I'm doing everything. I'm doing everything. And as frustrated as I was, I let myself grieve that and feel all of those emotions. And then I turned in and started listening to podcasts on how to turn my baby. And it propelled me to care for myself more because I wasn't caring for myself very well. It also pushed me to have a relationship with him in the womb, which I didn't really have at that point. Surprisingly, I was so focused on Lily and what will this second child do to her and our relationship that I didn't connect with him. And so we obviously, he turned And they continued to tell me, oh, he's a really big baby. You need to have a scan every week. And I just, in my head, I corrected the ultrasound doctor. I was like, I mean, he's healthy. He's a healthy baby. (laughs) He's not really big. So he was actually born and he was very small. Um, Not very small, but normal size. 
he came, you know, I basically almost born here. I had contractions and I, my husband got super excited. He was like filming me in the bathtub, like so awake. And the next day I had been up all night. I went to the chiropractor and I still didn't believe it was happening. I was driving and like counting my contractions. And a part of me was so scarred from going to the hospital too early the first time that I just didn't go the second time. And so the second night rolls around and I call my doula. Shout out to Lala. She's just an angel on this earth. She... Oh, wait. A doula. The definition in my mind is basically a support person for you and your husband during birth, mainly for you. So the relationship, just as the relationship with your doctor, your spouse, your friends, you need to find someone that resonates with you. You need to find someone who's going to listen to you and push you to look within yourself. That to me is the key. So a doula, I had one for Lily and I had a different one for Merrick. And I would say Lala really, she would equip me with data and science and knowledge, but she would also hold the emotional space of, and what do you want to do about it? And that giving you the control within these situations of, oh, your baby's breech, you can be upset. I remember she, she brought me a pumpkin spice loaf. She was like, you need a hug today. What are we going to do about it? Here's everything that you can try, but also... If he wants to be breached, he will be breached. And we will go into this second C-section with autonomy and control of the situation. You will have, you will know what your outcomes can and could be and go from there. And it's from a completely different place than this happened to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with Merrick, I'm driving, I dropped Lily off at school. I went to the chiropractor. I saw my chiropractor. I was like, hey, let's schedule my next appointment. And he was like, I think you're going to have this baby. And I told him, I said, no, I really want a December baby. This was early for Merrick. His due date was, I think, the 27th. And this was the 23rd. And my hair appointment was then the following day after another night of contractions and no show. Can you believe this woman is in day two of labor and does a tummy and so I'm midway up a half a full hand a pile <laughs> well I had been up all night and Julius my husband was like okay let's walk it off because I made him read Ina May's guide to childbirth if that is my one thing if you want a natural birth that is the manual so he read it and he said oh we need to go on a long walk let's get things to progress meanwhile my doula is like lay down sleep get rest <laughs> and I was like but can I go to my hair appointment <laughs> And she said, yes, you will feel so pampered. It's such a great opportunity to relax and feel good. And then, you know, maybe he comes in the next day or two. And was like, oh, relief, thank God. So I show up here and I'm like, Christy, I'm not, I think we were still wearing masks. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not gonna wear a mask. I'm kind of in labor. Well, no, at first, Kim brought you in and sat you in that far section. Do you remember that? Yes. And like I just said, and I hope you don't mind saying this, sure. Robert, but people please are so, yes. You would never comment on where you know, sat in the cell yeah. on this particular day. I mean, like, I'm not saying here. And I was like, oh, okay. Would you like to sit in, like, it's on the Christmas tree we see her? She's like, I want to sit in the corner of the Christmas tree and just put some Christmas music on. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, whatever you need, Bill. So we sat next to the Christmas tree and, like, I thought she was just smelling the Christmas tree. You know, like, just like, like, just. And just breathing through her deep breath and then like, you know, you know, the last thing about how the baby's at this time, so, you know, I'm like, right, you know, do a consultation, go and mix my colour, come back, literally get to like three quarters, of, like the flower of the head and full head for it. And she grabs the side of the chair and then just like closes her eyes and was like, just give me a second. I was like, okay. So then I called her the assistant and said, here with her baby and was like, she might be having the baby. <laughs> And like the girls were all so grown there and they were like, yeah, we were wondering how you didn't know to share. And I was like, why didn't someone tell me? So then I was like, oh, the sun is okay. And she's just like, yeah, we have contractions for about two days now. And I'm like, oh, God, God, this is like, I 
begged him to stay in, and I held him in. So again, I did hold him in because that night I left here, great head of hair, hair was ready, I was ready. My husband was like, okay, I'm gonna go to work. We've had three nights of false starts. Like, I don't believe you anymore. The woman who cried baby wasn't going to happen. So I actually was in an Uber on the way home and that poor Uber driver was like on the phone as they all are. And he's probably thinking, oh my God, this lady's gonna give birth. And I swear he was driving faster than they normally do. So I get home and I call Julius. I'm like, listen, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need your support. I think things are happening. And then we called the hospital and someone was in the tub. So because of that, I think I continued to hold him in. And throughout that night, we kept calling the hospital and someone was still in the tub in early labor, which if you're familiar, early labor takes a while. For me, it took three days. So, yeah. so then my water's broken. It just became unbearable. And I said, we need to make our way to the hospital. So. I have no idea how close my contractions were, but they were so intense and so painful. We made our way. So I chose a hospital that was too far from the house. And by the time we got there, I was on my hands and knees in the parking lot and I scared security so badly. They were like, emergency, emergency. Like she's going to die. And my doula, Lala, she's like, nope, this is a woman in labor, back off. Show us how we get to labor and delivery. So when you get to labor and delivery, they want to take your blood. They want to take your blood pressure. Going back to the old people-pleasing Emily, I would have been like, okay, okay, just hurry up. This time, I looked at these midwives. I was like, no, not happening. I'm right. So they said, okay, we're going to check you. Let's see how far along she really is. So I'm kneeling beside the bed. The bed is completely made. I haven't touched it. And they check me. And... It was like mid-contraction, so invasive, so painful. I looked at the woman. I was like, why right now? And she comes back. All of us are waiting on pins and needles, similar to what you are right now. And Julius and Lala are like, okay, how far is she? It's been four days. <laughs> and they were like, you're five centimeters. Baby is negative three position, which means all the way up and you're halfway there. So Julius leaves because I had forgotten something at home. And he needed to go down to retrieve it from someone who was bringing it. And but, so he left, the midwives left. It was just me and my doula. And I could feel a deflation in the room of like, gosh, only five centimeters. And I felt it within myself. And I started to like not believe I could do this because it was so painful and it was day four. So I looked at Lala and I was profane. I was cursing. I was like, put me in the wheelchair. I want to go in the emergency room. I want to go in the operating room, take him out. I'm done. We're tired. This is too much. She's like, Emily, you can do this. You can do this. I'm gripping the bed sheets, like clawing for dear life. This was probably 90 seconds. And she's like, take the gas, take the gas. I looked at her. I was like, F the gas, Lala. It's not going to work. I'm in so much pain. Help me. And then I just start pushing. I just start bearing down. And she looks at me and she's like, Emily, what are you doing? I was like, I can't not push. She's like, let me get the midwives. This had been probably 90 seconds, not more than when everyone left. And the midwife comes back in. She's like, okay, let me check you. I was nine centimeters. Baby was on, he was already coming out. She could feel the head. So within 90 seconds, I went from five centimeters, baby's high up in the pelvis, to baby's on his way, let's hurry up and get in position. They go to try to get Julius and they're like, oh, baby's coming. So he's like, my baby, she's five centimeters. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, come, come. My husband wore like this proper uh, polo shirt and baby's like, Merrick's basically coming into the world. And I'm like, is someone going to catch him? Where is everyone? Because everything moves so quickly at this point. And midwives were like, uh, do you want to lay on the bed? I said, nope, he's coming right now, right here. So he finally came out so fast, so easily. I don't even think that I pushed. It was just, you have this reflex. It's called the, um, it's an ejection reflex where the baby is, because your uterus is contracting to build muscle to shoot him out. That's exactly what happened. He just shot out so fast, so slippery. He was there. He made it like within 10 seconds. He walked in the room and was like, well, what happened? How did this go from we have probably three more days to he's here? So it was everything that I needed. That birth 
no, no pain relief, no time for a tub, even if they had one. And I remember I had the intuition when we were at home that I was holding him in, that I was continuing to wait because I really wanted that water birth, that I was holding him in. And as soon as we got to the hospital and I knew this is where I quote unquote have to give birth or I am giving birth, I just let go and released. And when I was crying for drugs and screaming at my doula, that was the transition period from five to nine, which is the most intense, the most excruciating. And it feels like you're hitting this brick wall with your head over and over again. But then there's a baby. And after that, it was just like a high I have never felt. It was incredible. It was so incredible and everything that I needed. And not everyone needs that experience, but I needed it. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? So incredible. I just want to explain it to you. I'm like, you're just in this incredible love bubble. Mm-hmm. Like, best. It is. It is the best. It was incredible. And I'm crazy enough to think I want a third, so. Just about, I didn't know anything going to say that or not. So I was like, asleep. So obviously, when I saw you maybe three or four weeks ago now, so how was everything going? Blah, blah, and we had signed when you had started seeing what was what was a word that you used to. Was it a mattress? Was it a naturopath. Yes. Naturopath. Maybe. Julius, he's gone away. Yep. Yep. And he travels. Sing the right so much to that girls. But what? So what is it? So it's a naturopath. So he yes. So was like very close. Just very different. But yep. So I saw him with Merrick before I conceived Merrick. I went to him from the recommendation of my old neighbor, and he kind of so may sound so woo woo, but he plugs you into a frequency device that reads the resonance of your body and what you are depleted in, what you need support with, gives you kind of a supplement regimen. So I remember he's incredible. I love him. Shout out Dr. Purvis. Um, And so I went and saw him just recently, but again, I'm still breastfeeding. So there's that aspect. I feel like my intuition is telling me I have to, I have to stop. But so tools in the toolbox, naturopath, a doctor that you can trust that really looks at the holistic aspect of who you are. So what, so what does he naturally, what does that conference entail? Really emotional. It feels a lot like therapy and he has a shelves and shelves of books that are root health oriented. So if you go in and you say, I have lower back pain or I have abdominal pain or have frequent headaches, he's going to root health. Like what are your supplements? What vitamins are you taking? What is the stress level in your house right now? What's your relationship with your spouse? How's the help at home? How are your kids? So it's, he goes into a very emotional aspect while also utilizing his medical degree because he does have a doc like he is a medical doctor um to essentially guide you to I changed my diet so that was another part for this time is I'm I think certain people are very sensitive to certain things for me it's caffeine sugar and gluten I haven't given up the caffeine yet probably should but I do, you know, that's who we blame. So he looked at everything, gave me a bunch of supplements, not a bunch, but told me, here's a supplement regimen. This is what I want you to do. And then we'll do a reassessment. So I'm coming up on the reassessment soon. But he, his approach is not, it's not hands off. It's so hands on and it feels so thoughtful and It's a long appointment, which is great. He spends the time to get to know you. He reads your aura, which is your energetic field that surrounds your body, which has a huge impact on your physical and emotional health, which is exactly what your entire well-being is run off of. So if something's out of balance, you can see it within really anything, your energetic field, and whether it's physical symptoms. And mindful. What did he see? He, so while I was sobbing, I can't remember why I was crying, but he 
I, it's it goes back to this self-worth and am I worthy? Am I? So it's, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome when you grow up for 30 years as a people pleaser who don't who doesn't think that you're worthy of this big abundant life. There's a part of you that needs a minute to catch up. So yes, I had Merrick. Yes, I had this profound birth. Yes, I feel in control and full of knowledge and I have all the tools in my toolbox, but there's still a deep rooted aspect of the little Emily that doesn't believe she's worthy of love and acceptance. So that's what we picked up on. We picked up on the parts of me that still need to be healed from an energetic standpoint, which I spend. So I would throw all of my money at my sound healer before I did my medical doctor because it, I have had such deep healing and physical response to sound healing and meditation and through seeing the right people they're not I wouldn't call them practitioners but they're healers they're true healers that want to heal you and I know when I had Merrick naturally I broke the lineage of women before me that had c-sections so I was a c-section baby I think I can't remember if my mom was she might have been but there's like there is a generational trauma around the womb and then come to find out my my sister wound up having a c-section too so there's something stored within our wombs and your womb and your center is where your self-worth is so I'm still working through that and that's he's really helped me shed light on what I need to be working on and that that's still coming up and I need to look at it hmm Doing, doing the new diet and mm. is that and can also part of the diet and got used to it. two months the supplements and then um like he'll prescribe you essential oils that at night you're putting this on your body and you're taking deep breaths and you're repeating these mantras and it's really a handheld guidance system into how to care for yourself the way you would your own children and so yeah you know what there's a lot just as you were talking before i'm like there's seems to be a common being here with every podcast other things they have but we were talking the last podcast that we recorded is about medication and how I don't believe the mental pills that you should be medicated and it's things like we do sound healing we do meditation there's other things that I find to me have worked so much better than being on medication um and I think it's it's nice that we're kind of putting it out there and hopefully other people will take some of this on board i just think to me personally since i've been doing these alternate things mm-hmm. like our sound healing um i feel like i've started to discover who i really am mm-hmm. um and find myself mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah i think it's it's one of those things is that like i was with george and a few of his friends watching a football Last night, and one of his friends is such a like salt of the earth, logical, not remotely like I'm gonna say the word because all three of us are like woo woo. Mm-hmm. Like he is so far from that world, and he ended up saying something about um, that he wants to learn. He always hadn't thought about something and everything like that, but I can't remember why he said it. But he said something about really interested why when we play like a G on a guitar why the, the water really holds and, up, and then he was talking about it. And it's really funny, isn't it? Because like, we love music and we're made of water. And I was like, you are literally describing sound to you. Like, and then he was like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't understand how that could be possible. Anyway, I was like, just go away, have a little research about it. And I'm sure like it will change your mind. But it's just, he's got a really different way. You know, sometimes like, I do believe that you find your spiritual journey because something happens to you that kicks you into having to find it. Mm-hmm. And like how we say children when he says that he's something, I'm like, I'm so happy for you that you don't understand this because it means nothing bad ever happened to you, but you've had to try and look for something else. And like then when Josh said that last night, I was like, oh, looks like he's found that without even realizing. Yeah, yeah. But also signing up for a spiritual journey as soon as you make that intention to heal these parts of yourself, 
I feel like the universe will stack up the lessons for you to just knock them out <laughs> because that's exactly what happened. You think you, I don't know that anyone is fully healed because we are constantly given these assignments to heal other aspects of ourselves. So I may feel like I've healed so much, but then I go to my naturopath and he's like, I'm seeing a little darkness in that aura. Let's find out what that is. And then we root cause, find out exactly what it could be and go from there. Mm. And I think that's why I really, I say to Anna when I get really on today because like not even, I hope what people get from this, not even from like a childbirth aspect, you know, because not everybody wants to have children or whatever, but just from the gut instinct healing and then mm -hmm. doing your own research. And then every, as every, every, like you said, it's like every road bump that you've gone to, mm -hmm. you've figured out a way to like knock it back on itself again. It's taken a lot of time and a lot of tears yeah. and support. I think finding your tribe is so important. And I've never, I thought that was such a cliche thing to say, but it's so true. You need women around you who are going to support you and look at your spiritual journey and cheer you on. Stay straight, stay bad. Well, then, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you, you both so much. Together. Thank you so much. It's amazing.